I wish I was a mole in the ground. Yes, I wish I was a mole in the ground. As a mole in the ground, I'd root that mountain down, and I wish I was a mole in the ground. Well, hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Faced Out with me, Liz, and him, Brad. And me. Hey, guys. How are you? What's going on? How the hell are you? Welcome to July. Oh, where the hell did June go? June was literally one week long, and it was a dark week, and I don't remember it. I don't... Yeah, we entered, <laughs> so. we, we entered into some sort of sci-fi wormhole thing. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea how we, we're, we're like, we're basically a week. We're recording now about a week into July somehow. <laughs> how is that possible? I, I don't know if it feels this accelerated for people who aren't working, but I feel like it has just been ever since March. It's like the roadrunner. It's just been speeding up and speeding up and speeding up and speeding up. <laughs> yeah, we, we're a... Uh, Starting this week, or actually last week, we started getting some booksellers back into the store. We kind of baby-stepped it. Um, Some people began coming in in the evening to shelve the things that we had not shelved since ever, since March. Some stuff just strewn about. And uh, starting last week, we began having some booksellers flow in during the day. Um, and we're just feeling everybody out in terms of it's a work environment, right? Yeah, it's honestly like there's two things that have crossed my mind. The first thing was that we initially were like, just as everybody's able here and there, come in and get a feel. And it was like after five minutes of having our coworkers back, it was like, please don't leave. We love you and the work you do, and this has made everything so much better. And then the other thing was that I felt like this deep, so like the gratitude for just their presence and their willingness to just jump right in. And then the other side is just feeling deeply embarrassed for like the messy, I don't know, it's like those home improvement shows where they're like, well, you know, we've been using this as a makeshift kitchen and it's all fucked up and I'm embarrassed to even talk about it. Let's move on. You know, it's like, that's how our shipping operations feel to a degree. Um, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's yeah. like slowly as more people come in, we'll get more input. We'll figure out a way to create a system that everybody is like familiar with and works instead of just the one that we built out of necessity, basically. Yeah. Necessity and just, um, uh, reaction and in, in, instinct at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to one of our booksellers. She's very system-minded. And uh, I told her that she and another bookseller would absolutely hate <laughs> the improvisational way that, that Liz and I work um, and invited them basically to, you know, to amend it, to, 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 you know, to, to mold it into a system that works for others. And she was very gracious, and she said something to the effect of, well, I'm sure you made the decisions, what, what needed to happen in, you know, in, in the moment. 
And I don't know. I don't know that, we, that the decisions were always right. I, I think <laughs> we didn't need to. Trail. We didn't need to kill that one person. <laughs> we just didn't need to. It was just like uh, caught up in the moment. Yeah, you know, it just we we it just happened, and you have to you have to just roll with it. <laughs> You're very deep in the Right, uh, but yeah, it's 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 difficult. You know, the this the reintroduction of people into the the non systems or systems that work for. The skeleton crew isn't gonna. It's, well, it just can't work with so a with a crew. We and it, the thing is, is we're sitting here and we keep saying like, "Oh, it can't work." You know, we gotta figure out a way. But there's a lot of workplaces that don't think that way. Like, well, the system that we made—that's the system we made, and we made it, and mm-hmm. we're the ones in charge. So that's the way it is. Right. And I think the challenge of a workplace like an indie bookstore is in having. The duality of a opening it up to other people's opinions and input and knowledge, and saying like, "Well, let's create a system that, like I was saying, like works for everybody and makes sense to everybody," um, but also not just leaving all the work like, "Well, we've been doing it this way, and now you're here, so right. you can figure out a new way." Like, <laughs> we're <laughs> we're stepping out for three months exactly. now. You all have fun. That's not great either. Yeah. So if it takes a long time, it takes longer to collaborate because people have to become familiar with not just the basic operations, but with all the problems that come up. So you have to be able to take everyone's input and assess their input honestly and not get, you know, a little injured maybe if they're like, this isn't working. You're like, yes, it is. Right. I did it like this for months. Right. And it's like, maybe you did, but you just... Bring more people in the fold. Right. Yeah. The the mystery stacks of books that, mm-hmm. you know, that you, the two people can keep track of. Mm-hmm. Or that, like, you know, I, I can look at that and say, well, that's Liz's. She'll figure it out. That just doesn't fly when, you know, when it's there's, like, fair. four other people who happen to encounter that pile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we all can't individually have four different piles of books, or if not more. Especially if the customer's like on the phone and your coworker's like, oh, okay, so this, I found this book in a pile that my customer, my coworker put a, a post it on that says, what the fuck pile? And so I don't know <laughs> what to tell this customer about their order. Liz is talking mostly about me. <laughs> no, I'm actually uh, talking about my one. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I, I, I renamed it Questions. Yeah. But. Liz and I have very we have we have very similar work habits, and uh, that's fine when you're working together. (laughs) Not so much when others come involved and need to decipher what the hell is going on. And they have a lot to offer. Oh yeah, things to bring. So I'm ready to like figure out the next what the next like phase looks like. Yeah, yeah, and I look a little better. I'm I'm very curious, and I hope that uh, you know that we get some feedback from. from you at the uh, podcast, right? face.podcast at gmail.com. I think that's yeah, the email address. Yeah, that's it. Um, if you have any stories you want to tell us about the reintroduction process of coworkers and booksellers, good or bad, if it's, you know, you can be anonymous. I'm not going to spill the beans on anything. But I'm just curious how it's working for people and um, if it's working well or working not at all. I don't know. It's, it, I think it's going to work fine for us. Uh, but I could definitely see it being stressful in some environments, depending on how they're structured. We have a, we've taken, I don't know, pains is the right word, but we've taken um, effort to make sure that things feel more horizontal than not 
among everyone that works at the store. So the idea is like people can come back to the store and feel that they're going to come in and they're it's going to look different, but they're going to be able to bring still bring themselves to work and do their thing as opposed to kind of this idea of like, well, everyone fall in line, like we're a fulfillment center now. Like we kind of are a fulfillment center now, but that doesn't mean that um, it has to be really like sad and <laughs> horrible yeah. and, and, and a total um, a total divorce from what the job used to be and what used to be fun about it. Yeah, and I think we're at a key point of all of this as for good or bad, stores begin to reopen in a variety of ways, whether for by appointment or or whatever. Um, we are reaching a point where we, as individual stores, have to figure out ways to not just be reactionary and to not just be um, to not just to not just fulfill orders because we're we're running up. I, we personally, as a store, are running up to the limits of that this month as June's orders, all of the back-ordered anti-racist books, everything basically has landed at the same time. Mm-hmm. And even as we have more staff, it feels just as exhausting as, <laughs> as when it was just two of us dealing with the first wave of gratitude orders. And I really think that we are very quickly running up to the Sustainable, the sustainability point, you know, where it's no longer sustainable doing business like this. And we have to start getting creative about learning how to be bookstores again, no matter the limitations that a virus or our response to a virus uh, requires of us. And I think there are certain things that store operation type things we're not going to be able to revisit for a while just because things will remain in flux and not quite normal for for some time but there is we can still draw on all of the experience and we can still mine all of the book selling uh the the day-to-day operations that we know and figure out what we can not just like warp so that it fits the new way that we have to do business but maybe figure out a new way that that could be a part of the space we're trying to figure out how we're going to conceptualize what I'm calling in my head stationary club um, because the fact of the matter is is that over the last year we've uh, amassed a really nice inventory of journals, cards, pens, that kind of thing. Very dusty inventory now. We have no way to sell them. <laughs> and is it is it ta- time efficient? Is it energy efficient for us to put every single thing fucking little pen and journal and card on the website in order to make a sale that's maybe $13. Probably the answer is just straight up no. (laughs) So, but... Definitely not not indie commerce because of just the the limitations that 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 poses. But like we have the inventory. We have the want to sell it. We bought the inventory because the need, the customers were, were buying the things. So it's... I'm trying to look at it as like a fun problem to solve rather than a sad chore. It's like a ship in a bottle, right? It can get there. We just have to like think differently about ships and bottles. Previously, they were two separate things in my mind, but now they have to become one. Put the ship in the bottle. Wow. 
That's deep. Yeah. Sounded pretty bad as I was saying it, but thank you. <laughs> I don't know. It's so deep, I don't even know how, I don't know the depth at which it's plumbed. I sell ships, I sell bottles, now I sell ships and bottles. No, that one doesn't work either. The point being, I don't know what we're going to do going forward, but we have to keep, uh, or I personally am striving to keep a open mind and open uh, attitude every day, week to week. Just, just try yeah. to see what's going on and not, not stress about how it all is going to look, because we just don't know. Yeah, um, Josh Cook at Porter Square uh, Bookstore had a one of his long bookseller threads on Twitter the other day, maybe today, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, he was he made the point. It's a good point, I think, that the numbers bear out that brick and mortar in store retail is more efficient. Than, than online stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, sure, even if you look at it from the most basic waste standpoint. Mm-hmm. Well, his point was... Which is just one angle. Yeah, his point was, was just basic math, where sure, yeah. basically in, in the, the trajectory of his numbers matched ours uh, at, the, at the store, that effectively there was a compound increase in web sales mm-hmm. you know like in our case it was like 60 60 times more than than what we had had the previous year during a certain period it was crazy but then when he compared the the overall sales of Porter Square year to year they were down about 25% sure so just the sheer math of it shows the uh, the limitations but it also just the degree how much more difficult you have to work for that for for fewer dollars and um, I don't know it's, it just struck me the other day as I thought about it and the incongruities between indies attempting to be online stores is that you know, the, the physical space of the store is going to largely determine what what it can be what it can do it, it, it sort of hems you in in terms of like the amount of retail that you can do on any given day how much staff you should have, and all this stuff, and you can grow into Where you it. Have to or, eat your lunch. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just defines so much. The internet is so amorphous, and the there's no there's really no limit to what can end up in your email box, and it's only helpful the degree to which you can fulfill it in an mm-hmm. in a uh, in an efficient way, mm-hmm. um, and. I just don't. I mean, the, the idea of doing this during the holidays, when like even the level of retail that we have now will probably be ratcheted up. No matter like the, in the face of, of a pandemic, there's still going to be holiday traffic, and I just don't know how it's going to work. That's literally like exactly where I've been trying to think about. Because let's just say in December, we are in the same exact situation as far as we do not have customers in the store. We have a staff, whatever. That may or may not be the case. I don't know. But if in December that is the case, we will be so overwhelmed with web orders. It's almost a losing game. Like there's no reason to even start playing because there's going to be a time limit. Stuff's going to go out of stock. It's ultimately going to turn into a slog of customer responding and correspondence. And that is just not pleasant to think about. Um, but whereas previously, a couple months ago, I had a personal sort of more 
maybe not negative view of the future, but just sort of like, I can't deal with that right now. Now I kind of feel like, all right, well, what can we get really creative on in the holidays? Right. Can we make a a catalog so that we can control what people are buying the most of? There's always going to be outliers, whatever. Can we, you know, so it's like we talk about thinking about these new systems and brainstorming and being creative, and that's all well and good if you have the energy for it. Yes. And if you have the um, privilege of coming off eight hours of work and you still feel fresh and like ready to think about it some more yeah. you know so some days it's it makes sense some days it doesn't yeah I think you have to seize the moments when you have them to 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 pursue those ideas and then have some people on staff or maybe even not on staff who you know can provide some sort of accountability on how on, on your pursuit of those ideas I'd, I'd love some collaboration as an industry not as like a, let's figure out one thing for all of us to do because that sounds hellish but like what is everybody doing yeah because we can all learn from one another yeah I, to me it just seems a no-brainer that a general bookstore model is not going to work in the in this pandemic in the parameters, like as of it pandemic. is now, yeah, right. It's There's just not no going to work. There has there has to be a way. Well, and we're saying like there is no way, but there are people who write are are working now in stores that are open to a degree. Yeah, that's true. so I wonder how if that's their feeling too. Please write and tell us at face.podcast@gmail.com. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I mean yeah. I, no, I hear you. I hear you. I, I guess when I think about it not working, I just mean in terms of. The sustainability for what, basically, the sustainability for on the working level. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. there, even as an owner or as someone who's employed, you know, there, there does have to be a certain love of the job or joy that happens within the job. It's not the sum total at all, as we've talked about when it comes to labor issues, but there has to be in order to. Um, to make it go on any sort of professional level with book selling just because of the rewards are not what what <laughs> what no. you would want them to be. And the order fulfillment model that a general bookstore model is going to require, it just rips that out. It rips the joy right out because you you're not you're not pursuing any sort of vision about what you want your store to be. And individually we I think it's 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 necessary that that stores be much more aggressive about figuring out what they want to be mm-hmm. and trying to figure out a way to sell those things that actually get that message across rather than just welcoming every like net discount book <laughs> order that they might get. An interesting thing regarding that is is that there are stores who have probably operated up until pandemic the um, collective moment of hey maybe this industry is a lot even more racist than we've previously acknowledged these two sort of like pausing moments have been inflicted on everybody um, just by virtue of them happening to the world. But I think that some stores in that time might have seen 
their own lack of identity or their own lack of as you're saying you know who are you what are you what are you about what are you selling to people do you have some kind of opinion you're putting forth with the store that you are because you might as well as we've seen just be an online retailer if you don't have some kind of stance or opinion as an indie store um it's kind of ironic to be in that position now as a store that we feel like we do have an opinion and we do have a stance but it's like well we're still just an online fulfillment center for the time being just like everybody else but I would hope that people are thinking about that as far as like, well, moving forward, I mean, what is our identity? Is our identity like a bland space that has no identity? Yeah, I, I, I really... <laughs> Talk I, to it, if I mean, so. Yeah, there, there will be those, and they might do fine. I mean, they might do... Mm-hmm. But it's it's certainly not what I signed up for, and it's not really what, I, what, what will keep me going past... Specifically what I got out of. <laughs> but, you yeah. know... Um, but there are ways there are ways around it, and I think there are there are examples, you know, in the in sort of the ecosystem of bookstores mm-hmm. that of stores that have they were doing this before mm-hmm. there was a pandemic, mm-hmm. and they could be shining examples of of how to do things uh, going forward. You know, like uh, um, the Duenda District uh, pop up yeah. shop. Yeah. Um, um, you know what Stephen Sparks does at a point raise, and, and it's hyper focus on nature uh, and ecology. Um, and um, our good friends uh, at uh, at Wolfman Books in downtown Oakland, um, they have. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows about them or or look them up. yeah, look them up. Yeah, they they publish great books, but it's also just a very fascinating space. Um, that is very focused while also being kind of general when you're walking through there, even though it's a hole-in-the-wall type place. It's very, for me, it's a very exciting vision of what a bookstore can be, um, which isn't to say lucrative. I don't want to use like a (laughs) Silicon Valley term, but it reminds me of like an incubator that's that's messed up that Silicon Valley took that term because that's for that's for baby chickens. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we're referencing then. They're they're fostering all of these creative voices and artists and all different kinds of mediums. Um, they're offering educational materials for free. They're um, offering themselves in the last several weeks as a physical space for people who are seeking respite from protesting, get a little water, use the bathroom hit the road again and it's not new for them but it is a change like all of us have had to change but they are definitely one of the spaces that's kind of like they are beautifully amorphous yeah. and adapting to based on sort of the creative needs in their community it's funny that we bring up wolfman books because on this very podcast we'll be talking with uh, one of their uh I actually don't know what her, general, her title is. Maybe general manager, of, or even if they have titles, I don't know. We don't have titles at the store. But anyway, one, what, yeah, one of uh, uh, one of the, uh, the leading figures at uh, at uh, Wolfman, a uh, good friend of ours, uh, Tara Marsden, is going to join us here in a second, and we're going to talk about alternative visions of bookstores, what they're doing, maybe if. They have, she has a sense that it could be informative about what we could be doing. Uh, I don't know. We're looking forward to it. 
Liz and I knew Tara just in like our different worlds that we both inhabited. And uh, when uh, our respective worlds collided, it was a happy, sort of wonderful, sort of serendipity that uh, the Tara was was like the, the the middle of the Venn diagram or something like that. How have you been? You know, that's like a fun question to have generally when we're right. in these days. <laughs> um, I've been like fine under the circumstances, you know, like better than others and, yeah. and worse than some and in between, you know. <laughs> so yeah. how are y'all? Eh, you know, <laughs> same. Yeah. yeah. I'm always like, I feel like there needs to be a different polite like check-in question like besides how are you because i feel like the answer is bad the yeah. answer is we're doing bad we're all doing bad <laughs> yeah yeah i just i like if not doing bad then fuck you i don't want to have this conversation <laughs> i like i like hearing the different versions of bad though so that's why i asked oh uh, okay the gradation of like yeah all right okay. i'm well under that like I'm, I'm okay i uh i made myself a little margarita for this conversation oh perfect so, like i was hanging out with brad and liz so yeah. like you know like have a margarita <laughs> we started a couple like maybe two or three months back we just started buying like a case of beer for the store mini fridge because uh-huh. it's just like this is a this is a staple now yeah it's a, it's just necessary in order it's part of the it's a yeah part of the day it's part of, it's part of life yeah we're not going to be able to yeah. walk this back no <laughs> and why should we yeah i think you know drinking makes you a better bookseller in my experience so <laughs> the industry the industry used to allow for just drunkenness on the job so yeah i don't know why that changed <laughs> that and other substances as well but uh, oh yeah goodness. What is your official role at Wolfman, or do you not have one? <laughs> like, like a name, a, a name of it. Uh, so huh, it's a great question. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's like whatever in the moment is useful for me to call myself. Um, right. But I mean, generally speaking, I like think of myself and play the role of like the the book buyer at Wolfman for the most part. So I like sometimes say manager, but like. I'm really like Jacob's more of the manager, so I'm really like the book buyer. But also like, we're not really a bookstore right now, so like, what does that even mean? But right. um, but yeah, just I would say buyer. What has what has the retail life looked like at Wolfman over the past three months, four months? Um, I mean like non-existent for the most part, except for um we have been doing online sales of like our own books as well as like a little bit here and there like we did a partnership with the ruby to sell online some of their authors books and um who is that also with the ruby in san francisco um explain this for the non-san francisco people who might be listening um for the non-san francisco people the ruby is a co-working Based in San Francisco um, for women and queer non-binary people for who, to use mo- it's mostly like writers and um, yeah so like a lot of cool folks like uh, I think like Rachel Kong and um, they have a good roster yeah they've got a good roster of like a lot of the cool local um, San Francisco novelists uh, working out of that space so um, we usually when they do in-person events have been the vendor for their in-person events. Um, and so since quarantine, we've um, partnered with them online. Um, and then 
yeah, we also eventually got our, got our shit together enough to put up our like staff picks and our like store bestsellers as well. But otherwise, we're we're not open. We're not doing curbside pickup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we will we'll take orders via email, but that's not something we're really advertising because um, yeah. it's mostly Justin right now fulfilling the orders. So, as so I think long. you guys know, the like process of filling online orders is an all day tedious job. So. so tedious. I've always been really um, uh, impressed by the, the space at uh, Wolfman Books. Um, I wonder if you could uh, do two things. One, uh, tell me us about your path to that space, and then also just kind of describe it for people who have never been in there. Sure, yeah. Um... Thank you. Uh, yeah, so my path to Wolfman started, um, I think, like a lot of folks in the business. I My first book selling job was at Barnes & Noble when I was, like, 19 in my suburban hometown. Mm-hmm. And um, when I moved to San Francisco for college, I uh, got my first book selling gig in the city at Books, Inc., which is where I met Liz. Yeah. Um, and we had quite a time we at Books, Inc. in the marina. Oh, we I would describe that time. <laughs> Quite the time. Um, <laughs> and I eventually moved to the Booksmith um, on Hayes Street. And then I kind of got out of book selling for a while to work in publishing over at um, Publishers Group West in Berkeley. Didn't necessarily love being in that arm of the industry and distribution. So I uh, kind of left books for a while. But um, yeah, then you know who got elected in 2016. And I was like, I don't want to fucking go to an office job anymore that means nothing to me and I miss book selling and I miss the books you know the culture of book selling and being around booksellers and if we're all about to die in the apocalypse then that's kind of where I want to be um so I heard from me and Liz's friend Claire Stringer that Justin at Wolfman was hiring or like not really like hiring because we're like you know we're a funny business but like looking for more help in the shop um and she was like, yeah, you should talk to him. And so I did. And I, like, came in for a conversation that I would not describe as a job interview. And then he was like, cool. So, like, do you want, the, do you want to work here? And I was like, oh. What? Yeah, I guess I'll quit my, like, salary job with like, a 401k and uh, come work here three days a week. I think that's a really good next step in my life. So that's what happened. And I've been at Wolfman for, like, three and a half years. <laughs> to, so. to give people a sense of, of this Justin character, Justin Carter, he kind of has his foot and hand in so many different pots throughout the creative and literary scene in the Bay Area. And many of them are very unexpected. So, like, for example, he did all of the graphic art needs for East Bay booksellers when we converted over. He designed the bookmark. He designed the logo. um, And even, like, the shelf talker design. He did all that. Um, And... uh, He's a bookseller's landlord, sort of. Uh, yeah, I was going to say he's technically a bookseller's landlord. <laughs> we won't name the bookseller. I don't want to. I don't want to, to out anyone or dox anyone. But yeah, there's a bookseller. <laughs> oh no, Justin's going to be like, you outed me as a landlord on a podcast. Not that kind of landlord. No, not at all. It's no. uh, it's he's just a. It's he and and my experience of Wolfman is. It's very much sort of a, it's a wonderful anachronism in terms of like what it's trying to do with art 
um, and artists um, in this scene that is really all about being the opposite of anachronism. Everyone wants to be on the bleeding edge of technology and everything. And what you're all doing just seems very different than that. That's not a question. I'm just... <laughs> yeah, no, it's a fair statement, though. Um, yeah, I would say, like, Wolfman is very different from every other... I've worked at, like I said, a few bookstores, um, and Wolfman is definitely, like, its own thing. Like, I think of it as more of an art space that's, like, incidentally a bookstore rather than vice versa. Like... I think Justin and I are the only people that work there that have like quote unquote book selling experience and everyone else is like a poet or a visual artist, um, which is great. They like bring that work to the space. And yeah. so like that like manifests in how we do our newsletters and our events and like all of these things. Um, but like the intention was always to create a community space and like books were a way to do that. Um but, like, the store started with just mostly, like, Justin's personal library of used books being sold, like, in order yeah. to justify having a retail space. <laughs> um, and it has, like, grown from there. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely, like, arts-focused. Um, you know, in 2016, I think, is when we first published a book um, after, like, being around for about three years. Which so, book was that? Three years. So that was Maximum Sunlight. Oh, yeah. First book. Brilliant, I think yeah. It's a, has been a bestseller in the past or a staff pick at, um, at East Bay Booksellers. Indeed, so. yeah. Yeah, so that was the first book. And that kind of came out of the very Justin Carter-Wolfman ethos of, like, Justin being friends with Megan Day and being like, hey, like, if you could write a book, what would you write a book about? And she was like, you know, there's this weird town in Nevada and it has a clown motel, and I want to write an entire <laughs> book about it. I was like, great, I'll publish it, cool. And that. that was it. And, like, when I first got there, I was, like, coming from this background in publishing where I, like, you know, was thinking about things seasonally and, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about, um, I don't know, the very standard structure of the industry. And for Justin to be like, yeah, we just called ourselves a publisher, so now we are. Yes. And we just <laughs> print books because we want to, and then they're real. And we don't give a fuck, like, about, uh, like, the calendar or the seasonal, like, schedule of, like, when books are supposed to drop or how publicity actually works. We're just going to do it, and we're just going to figure it out, um, which, you know, sometimes is incredibly stressful, but mostly is really fun. So, yeah, that's definitely, like, the, the, the philosophy behind Wolfman is just, like, we can just do whatever we want, and then once we've done it, we've done it. Like, it's official. It's real. Yeah, because, like, if y'all... Well, A, if y'all waited for permission, it would never come. <laughs> and B, yeah. you know, based on I, these structures in publishing, like you're saying, with the seasons and the marketing, I mean, they exist for a purpose, but they're not necessary for everything published. And so oh. it feels really limiting to think only in those terms. Um, but I think it can be difficult for folks to just jump in. So... That it's so exciting always to see, I mean, really anyone doing that, but especially people that we know and are like in Oakland, we're like, look at them, look how cool. And also, like you're saying, bringing in the visual artists and people who don't have background in, in book selling or people who are writers, it creates a completely different kind of store climate that's unique and kind of exciting and like an interesting way to run a space. Um, you and I both having come from kind of like 
a background in corporate book selling where the expectation is like the workspace and the people who are working will be this specific way and there are specific tasks and to kind of just like sort of blow all that up and be like everybody come to work and pitch in and everything but also we're gonna build different kinds of relationships other than just like traditional employer employee bookseller etc Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you say that because I won't uh, name names, but, you know, I know of bookstores where they're very serious about you not standing behind the counter and doing nothing or quote unquote nothing. Um, And, uh, you know, it's funny because Wolfman, like we don't, I mean, we have, we have so few books that like, it's not like, like shelving is not like a very... Yeah. Like, it's something that we do once a week on, like, Thursdays, you know? Like, it's, like, a thing that we do for a few hours on Thursdays, and, like, and it's not a big deal, and it's not a thing that's happening a lot, and we don't have, like, a lot of go-backs or anything like that. So, like, a lot of the time we are just, like, on our laptop, like, doing research or whatever. But I will also say that, like, with this kind of attitude of, like, we're here, this is our space, we're hanging out, we can do what we want, we can be creative, I would say, like, our biggest conversation that we repeatedly had to have as a staff is how to, like not overwork because we all care so much about the space like I would say we do more work there than I've done at any other store because like we're invested and it's like our community and we feel a sense of ownership and there always is work to be done but it's work that we've self-selected to do right as opposed to you know just staying after to work more hours at a job that pays you bullshit wages and doesn't yeah. treat you that well and spies on you all day. Yeah, exactly. Like, like it's not spying. You. you know, you can do what you want. And there are definitely days where, like, you know, I mean, it became an, a thing that we had to bring up that, like, because we were a community space and we had a lot of collaborators and, and a lot of artists in the community were, like, using our space as just, like, a meeting hub um, that it was sometimes hard to get all of the things that we did need to get done, especially on, like, the publishing side, because, like, our friends would come in and kick it all day, and yeah. we want to talk to them, but also, like, I think, like, sometimes it was, like, funny to kind of be like, hey, um, we created this space so that you could come hang out with us, but also, like, we need to stop talking to you because we have a lot to do. do <laughs> so, <have> to <laughs> you know, trying to balance those two things of creating a space that people feel really, like, welcome and at home in while also being like, oh, like, we've created this whole like publishing arm and and magazine and quarterly that like needs to get done and requires actual work why did we do that (laughs) (laughs) but like you know loving it so yeah trying to find the balance in that and still like be a friendly fun space at the same time (laughs) it makes a big difference if you can do it on your own terms yeah so tara liz and i talked quite a bit um um, in the first part of our podcast today about we feel like we're we're rushing up against the limits of what we can do as a bookstore in terms of this new bookstore uh, necessity of being a fulfillment center. Um, and so we're, we're trying to think up ways, not just on a podcast, but just, you know, when we're actually working um, of ways of, of being something different than that. And that's what made me think about Wolfman and I wonder, because of your experience in a variety of different bookstore settings, if you could, if you have any sort of lessons or instruction that you think that 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 a, a, a store the size of, say, East Bay Booksellers 
you know, sort of a medium-sized bookstore, what sort of uh, what what could we learn from what you what you all are doing? Yeah, um, I'm honored to be asked in such a way as if I have like <laughs> wisdom to share. You have to tell us how to run this store, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I think that's a great question. It's one that we're considering too, um, because you know, like, what is a retail location and a retail space in the age of shelter in place and um, social distancing and the pandemic and all that. Um, But I will say that we have been having a lot of conversations about how much our like community partnerships have meant to us. Like we used to share space with unity press, which is a local um, queer zine press, but like also skateboarding collective slash band slash like was also the headquarters of Lower Grand Radio, which is like an underground internet radio station, like just kind of all of these things. And they were our upstairs space and like kind of the, the their folks that would come in for them, like weren't there to see us, but like found us in that way and vice versa. Um, and I really think that it was like through weird partnerships like that, that we've grown the really um, strange and like multiplicitous community that we have. And so I like, I think when I think about the future, I also, you know, like I have a second day job or whatever at Somart's Cultural Center in San Francisco, which is another nonprofit art space. And we've been having this conversation about like cultural centers as cohorts. And, you know, and then at Wolfman, we've been talking about like ways that we can ride out the pandemic by like teaming up with our community and like what that looks like might be you know, community centers that aren't just like a singular space devoted to Wolfman or devoted to, you know, one institution or like one organization or whatever, but that like, they have to, things are going to have to start looking almost more like, you know, artist collectives. And one of the most successful things that we did last year at Wolfman was give up some of our shelf space to local artists to sell their wares. This was around like the holidays. So like folks could just like, you know, consign their, work and we had ceramics and we had zines and we had you know all different kinds of I mean we had t-shirts all kinds of things just like weird stuff that came directly out of our Oakland community of artists um and so yeah I think like if I'm making any sense it's just that I'm thinking a lot about a space like East Bay Booksellers like you do have a large space you could run out your whole like front window display to an artist to be like an ongoing um kind of installation or like live art um display or like you know what I mean like they're just like ways that you could think like outside of traditional like indie book selling to include your community in a way that makes the space still feel like vital and thriving and like uses that space because to what extent do you really need to have all those books on the shelves if you're just shipping you know I mean you could just fulfill those orders via um Ingram or whatever you know so um, we're, yeah, I don't we're know. mostly I housing like lots and lots of spiders. What was that? We're mostly housing lots and lots of spiders. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the spiders are great, but maybe also make room for like a residency or right. you know, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, when Wolfman first started, we had like, and this is before my time, but I always hear about the time that we would have like a reader in residence, and someone could just like would just sit at the store for like, six <laughs> hours and read, um, which I always thought was really charming. So I don't know, there are just ways that you can team up with people in the community to use the space the key i think is going to be for everybody figuring these things out in all industries but is like if we can just like take when we can find the moment to like catch our breath and like 
start to think creatively, but that moment's never going to come perfectly. So it's good to kind of, I don't know, just like get the ball rolling and and have a lot of really bad ideas about Uh what we can do. And then, uh, which is where I feel like I've been personally, it's just like going through a lot of options that are just Uh not viable ultimately, but... (laughs) Well, I mean, nothing. Nothing about any of this feels particularly viable to me. I mean, like, I mean, not not speaking about the present com- conversation, but just about the the current retail environment. You know, of, of 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 trying to make a go at this and trying to pretend that we are an internet fulfillment center in such a way that is sustainable and is efficient. And it's it's laughable. I mean, we're it's it's just not it's just not it doesn't work. And, um, and I know that our customers are super excited. They walk by and they see all the boxes and they see how busy the three or four of us are, but they have no idea that it's actually still literally, um, a fraction of what we were doing. <laughs> like, like okay. it's, it's so it's, to me, it's a, it's a frustrating time and, okay. and I'm kind of letting it show a little bit more, I think to customers than what I probably should um, well, but, they got to know a little. If they don't already know, we you know yeah. people. Yeah, I think they don't know that, like, I don't know. I don't think any of us get in the game so that we can be a fulfillment center. I mean, I didn't like working in distribution because I didn't like thinking about books as units to be shipped, you know? Exactly. like I, And so I don't think that's why any of us are doing this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that there are definite ways and, and, and good and bad, bad ideas to explore. But like Liz says, a lot of it is just the energy to pursue them. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, I don't know. That's why I like looking at examples of, you know, stores this, that are pursuing a really finely tuned vision of who they are and they can much more seamlessly amend their day to day to, to augment their day to day because they have that really solid idea of who they are and places like Wolfman is are are a really good example of that in a way that a general bookstore that we have historically been of a certain kind maybe um, it's you know a little bit more clunky about of how to turn the ship in that direction well you got to stay loose you know so like I oh, think well. I think that's kind of what spaces that are not bound by the traditional rules of book selling either by virtue of being owned by someone who's not who doesn't suck or someone who <laughs> some you know just the space is, is as Wolfman is uh, offers space for all different kinds of things other than books but it staying loose and staying open to new possibilities and new um, systems of selling books and and staying open to the possibility that your store identity is going to not be as solid maybe as it once was I think for us it's not that kind of thing isn't as existential I know there's other stores who are quote-unquote more of an institution who might be having a hard time pivoting because they've dug into their ways for so long uh, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's hard. It's hard to turn it around. So, Tara, let me ask you something that, if you can't answer, we won't include in the uh, podcast. <laughs> but in terms of the f- uh, the financial reality of Wolfman, uh-huh. 
what makes more money, the publishing end or the retail end? Um, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking out loud about whether or not that is something that can be included. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think it, it's a problem to say that, like, the answer is neither. Um, sure. Neither makes more money. Um, I mean, the reality is that, like, we have this conversation a lot because I think each separately could probably be solvent but both together are we're just constantly trying to shift money from one to the other you know um because we feel equally passionate or at least i would say some of us feel more passionate about one and some of us feel more passionate about the other and together we're trying to make it it work because yeah it's not easy i mean publishing isn't exactly like a money-making industry and book selling isn't a money-making industry so when you try to do both yeah it's, it's <laughs> doubling down you know it's i we're kind of burning the candle on both ends but um we've made it this far you know um and and we we've been doing it and like you know we also you know we ended up having to explore the um, fiscal sponsorship, and for those who don't know, what that is that's when you uh, an organization that's not itself a nonprofit becomes sponsored by a nonprofit so mm -hmm. that they qualify for grants. That's and nice. so we took that route last year or two years ago, actually. And um, you know, we were awarded a grant from the city of Oakland for the publishing arm. You know, and that ended up funding uh, that was like twenty thousand dollars that went towards um, a lot of our publications. But, like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like we're a profitable business. Like, we're not, you know. Yeah. Um, not that we ever set out to be, quote-unquote, profitable, but. Uh, we've both worked for spaces in the past that have been very, like, focused on the profitability and sort of maximizing uh, that in every possible way. Um, and it's just kind of funny because I think that that sort of book selling is, I think that era is coming to a close, like, how I think of as like a like a faux corporate model, like baby borders. I think, I think that that's that type of store is not going to be what survives after however long this part of our lives lasts, because they're motivated by profit, but not a whole lot of community. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I think like. I've been thinking about that and how different. I mean, I love y'all's curation so much. I like shout you guys out all the time. Like y'all and Spectator are like two of the bookstores in town that I feel like really have just like, like just great um, buying selections and are doing a lot of really great work on like providing like anti-racist literature and really political literature and not being afraid to do that. And I've worked at stores in the past that like wanted to kind of ride that line of being in the middle and, and yeah. like providing whatever it is that people want to read in the name of like, I don't know, be like providing information or like not quote unquote censoring or whatever. Um, and like, I, it, I just think that like that is the part of that, like Barnes and Noble or like corporate mentality of like, yeah, we just provide the books and people can get whatever books they want. And it's like, well, no, like, as a private business, we can curate the books so that like people know what we are and who we are and what kind of store we are and um, we that we serve a certain community and that that community feels safe in our space. Yeah. And I don't think everyone feels safe in a space that like is trying to like quote unquote be like bipartisan or whatever you right. know. And I think that taking risks is like something that 
these watered down corporate types like are never going to make. And I think it's better to like actually take a stand. And I think that's something that y'all have been doing a really great job of. And I've been really enjoying seeing. So thank you. I hope all those, I hope all the booksellers like that are working for those kinds of places like are freed and get to go to a store where they feel more empowered and can have a little more freedom and stuff. Cause I know it made a world of difference to me, um, wanting to continue even working in bookselling when I had a little autonomy. I was Absolutely. like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember getting in a fight with a coworker because I worked at a store that carried, I won't, I won't say the book, you know, I won't, I won't give anything away. I'll just say a book that I really took issue with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I brought it to the attention of like my older, um, white male coworker, um, <laughs> who said that, um, I was like, why do we carry this book? And he was like, because we're not fascists. And I was like, what? Like, that's not, oh, God. That's, I don't understand <laughs> the like connection that you're drawing here, but that doesn't actually make any sense like we can choose what kind of people we want to be and what kind of language we want to use and like what causes we want to support yeah tara what um what are you loving these days what uh what's what's getting you through some of the darker days as we make our way through four months of shelter in place (laughs) (laughs) um i have i would say like finding ways in the last like few I mean honestly the last few weeks I don't want to say have been um better because they've been very dark times politically but I will say I've felt more um purposeful in the last few weeks than I was feeling during the first couple months of quarantine where like it felt like all we were supposed to do as people was stay inside and stay away from each other and that was like our duty as humans and that still is our duty as humans. Yeah, um, but, you know, being, you know, I've been kind of, you know, attending safely the the protests and, and seeing like, you know, a lot, of, I don't know, just like seeing momentum that I haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, really feeling this like shift in this moment has been really heartening. Um, and also like in that, with that in mind, like I've, return to just a thing that I can't stop myself from doing all the time which is like starting new book clubs and starting new reading groups <laughs> um, so like some friends and I started like uh, a weekly reading group that we're doing together and then I'm also doing like a monthly one on like decolonizing environmental justice that I've been doing since last year and like these I don't know it like seems simple but like I just think that like community is centered around like self-education really just lift my spirits and make me feel like there's some forward momentum right now, even when we're stuck inside or when we are up against what feel like impossible, impossible odds. So yeah, yeah, I'm getting a lot of of love from community and from reading and community. That makes all the difference. What about you, Liz? What what have you been loving? Honestly, I went grocery shopping for the first time, like proper groceries in weeks and I've been cooking again and it has been absurdly therapeutic. It was like when you haven't drank a glass of water for 12 straight hours and you drink a glass of water and you're like, that's crazy that I feel so good. Um, I made some soup. I made a bunch of like salads and I made, I don't know, just like things I would normally not think about, um, 
in the same way. I wouldn't think about, oh, this beautiful produce and these herbs. <laughs> but uh, that made me really happy this past weekend. I love that. Oh, I want to add thinking in response to that, that mm-hmm. one thing I've started doing in shelter in place uh, that I never did before in my whole entire life um, was I realized that I can make pancakes whenever I want. Like, that's just like a thing that you can do, like, whenever you want. And I've made <laughs> so many pancakes. Like, just really, like, any time of the day, I might just be like, you know what? It's, it's pancake time. Um, I, I would pancakes. highly recommend that to anyone out there. Yes. It's, it's really easy, and you can do it all the time, and there are no rules telling you you can't have it for your 4 o'clock snack or for dinner or for breakfast or whatever. It's very soothing to pour the little thing in, flip uh-huh. it. It's, I love the routine. It's very satisfying. You flip them, and when you get a really good flip, you're like, yes, it's great beautiful what about you brad um i've actually been reading for a change um i i read um frank wilderson's uh afro pessimism <laughs> and um josh bennett's being property once myself and both of those Ooh. just really rocked my world in a, a different ways um and um both were very, very different from a lot of the other sort of anti-racist bestseller reading that, that we've been selling. <laughs> and uh, certainly Wilderson's book, which is very like excruciatingly dark and bleak, um, but, uh, but in a non... Sorry, but I missed the title. Was it Afro-Pessimism? Is that... Yeah, yeah, it's called Afro-Pessimism. Okay, cool. Yeah. Right, I missed it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a very, very dark book, but it's it's... It's more of an earned darkness than what you find when, like, people like me are dark online or something, uh, where it's just, it's a very lived experience, but also very robust philosophy as well. And uh, both those books have, in their own way, been a very sort of catalyst for creative thought for me. So that's that's been nice. I, I've actually been struggling finding anything that I really love in terms of reading. So that was a nice thing, which is not a good thing when you're on a uh, on a book jury for an award. Because, <laughs> but nevertheless, <laughs> um, but that's that's what I've been loving. Well, Tara, thank you so much. Um, thank you. You've given us uh, uh, lots to think about, and uh, hopefully, we have uh, for people who haven't heard about Wolfman, they will be an inspiration to. Uh, bookstores, I think they should be. If they're not, then you then you've lost your heart, I think, and uh, and sort of your passion for why you're doing this in the first place. And um, I don't know where we're going to go from here. I don't know uh, what your space is going to look like. I don't know what we're going to do with our space, but uh, I'm happy to know that we're allies. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Thank you, Tara. We'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you so much. It was so great to talk with y'all. I hope I get to see your actual faces behind masks soon, somewhere in the real world. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Cool. Take All right, it thanks, easy. y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I miss working with Tara because we had such fun and we got to talk all the time, but I'm so glad that we are both in our respective places now <laughs> with different kinds of jobs. Um, it was really fun to talk to her. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, she uh, actually don't remember. I probably met her via Twitter. 
Um, but uh, but uh, we hit it off just sort of in real life. Well, Diesel hosted the first iteration mm-hmm. of of the book club. Yeah, yeah. I think they were reading exactly. Angela Davis's uh, "Freedom yeah. Is a Constant Struggle." Yeah. yeah, right after like within like a week or two of the election. Yep. Yeah. And we did uh, a, I think we did a Jeff Chang book mm-hmm. after that. Oh, yeah, we're going to be all right. Yeah. And then one more, and then I think it organically just kind of moved on to a new thing. Yeah, yeah, I think it just sort of kind of... There was a lot going on. There was a lot going on. It was hard to maintain that level of energy in that sort of way. They, they, she, she and the circle and the communities that she's a part of really harness that in creative ways. And, and that's what's really cool about about Wolfman is that there's nothing there's nothing artificial mm-hmm. about what they're doing so like you know if you're looking for a takeaway from what these sorts of DIY small plunky bookstores what what's what can you learn from it it's not doing what they do it's not all like yeah. if you don't give a shit about zines all of a sudden doing zines that, that, yeah, that's, do that's, that. that's actually like that's bad that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's opposite the point yeah. but what did what did you think? What, what did you see as a takeaway? Well, it's like, what is your passion? You know, if you're a retail space, obviously we're speaking to bookstores, but it really applies broadly. It's like if you're a retail space and you're spinning your wheels right now and you don't know what to do and you don't know what the future is going to look like, like dig deep and say, what's my passion in this place? What is the point here? Who are the people that come here and love it? Not just spending money, not just a customer base that gives you money, but a base of people that... It could be as basic as they just have a routine where they walk their dog to our bookstore and they don't buy anything necessarily. They just come in and they look around and it's like, okay, so where are the people who look to your store for that kind of moment, that kind of ritual, bringing yourself in in the evening, whatever it may be. What, what what can you offer them in a different way since you can't offer them the physical space in the same way? It's just creative problem solving. I mean, like you're saying, if zines don't speak to you, like don't make zines. But maybe, uh, you know, a community bulletin um, speaks to you. Maybe uh, some sort of community news, newsletter, newspaper. I mean, literally... It could be anything, and we're always going to sell books, but at this moment, we need to be looking for inspiration in all different kinds of places, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, there's, yeah, there's there are, hope, there, there are a host of things that are hell-bent on demoralizing us, sucking the joy out of the job right now. Because if you think about, like, an Amazon, well... I always say, like, the time when Amazon made itself known in the bookselling community and everyone got scared, but it's really more about when corporate bookstores like Borders and Barnes & Noble were on big expansion trips, and it was like, you know, you might run an indie bookstore in a cute little neighborhood for 35 years, and they open up a Barnes & Noble three blocks away and decimated. At that time, in the 2000s, people really needed to get creative. You know, they really needed to like dig real fucking deep and say, here's what we can give you that no one else can. And a lot of stores did it um, out of necessity or out of just wanting to do it. But it's not pleasant. And it can't can't (laughs) just be 
we're not Amazon. Exactly. I, th- I think it, recently I said something to the effect of like, that's such a low ethical bar, if nothing else. But also, yeah. you're just not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to meet the, the price or the efficiency. So why create that standard? And they created it, right? Like Amazon asserted themselves and right. as a comparison. Like we don't need to compare right. them. But just this idea of finding what that difference that you can make and different model that you can present beyond the beyond the, the I don't know the, the various sort of efficiency level of, of things yeah. and the, certainly beyond the cost level and beyond the comparison level. And a lot of that has to do a lot with simply having an idea. It's not simple. Having an idea about who you are mm-hmm. and who you are amongst and who your people are. And as a result of that, not every bookstore is going to be for every person because it's just, it's, I mean, it's welcoming, but it's, you know, you, if I walk into certain suburban spaces, it's, it's not my people, right? right? I mean, they have a different... The curation shows yeah. you yeah. that shows you certain things and you can respond in kind and feel like, okay, I, I see what you're doing, but it's not for me or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just something to be said for really putting the independent back in the indie bookstore sort of I landscape mm-hmm. um, and what that looks like, what it means and there is a potential maybe that there is only a certain size store that can do it in a particularly good way. It could be once you hit a certain size, you're just sort of stuck at that and you're just you have to lumber along. Is size synonymous here with mentality? Because I think it might be. Maybe. I think, right, at a certain point, you're going to grow to where you employ a certain number of people and you actually can't give everyone an equal opinion because of the way staffing works. And right. and it's that's not great. Um, it's just, institutional inertia is a real thing. It's a real thing, yeah. It's, it, what's a nice thing is like imagining all of the, like you're saying, putting the independent back into it and saying, just think for yourself, think for your store, think for your neighborhood, think for your people and collaborate, like ask your employees if you have this kind of relationship and if you don't, you should probably, uh, I don't know what you should do, but it, it, like ask your employees what their vision is for the space, what their ideas are, what kind of things they see as, as being really, really, I don't know, not even like fiscally big ideas, but just exciting things well, that make them excited. Most of the time it's not going to be fiscally big ideas because... Like we were saying yeah, earlier, it's like this isn't a fiscal, there's no, that's not a thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the, 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 the profit motivation is, is has to be at least set to the side. Um, and I know it's difficult to talk about that in sort of like these times in which no one is even close to making any money. No. No one's even really particularly close even to breaking even. But finding a pocket in your operation, seems, it seems, you know, of that sort of genuine independent spirit, whatever it looks like, could be a way to go in terms of, 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 of find, finding our way through the darkness of, uh, of these current times. I think it's essential um, because... Like we were saying earlier, the stores that won't be able to pivot are the ones who have worked 
very hard to either have an identity that isn't really an identity or to not have an identity as a specific way of catering to every customer possible. Um, they're going to have a really hard time because their identity is based on people that spend money there or the people that they might perceive to spend money there or hope would spend money there rather than, I don't know, the day-to-day, -day, the people who come in and work and what, what, the, what the vibe of the store is, not what the profits are. And it's not like the world is, is not going out of its way to present... <laughs> <laughs> opportunities for things outside the four walls of your retail space and whatever it is the, the corporate publishers are saying you should be excited about. The world is presenting itself with a host of crises, but also great things that you can be excited about in ways that are not motivated purely uh, and maybe not even at all with the profit motivation. Um, and ideally... In a retail space, those sorts of things can excite the people who are working in that space. Yeah, that's key. such to, to you know to motivate them to to just want to still be there. Frankly, right? Because really, what it is is like if you if you start looking down the line, um, the mentality doesn't suit our industry for a number of reasons. Um, but I think a really big reason is that it. It, it's the idea of like a corporate mentality, right, is to squeeze profit out of everything. Wherever it is, find it. Maximize it everywhere. Like Tara was saying, if your employees are standing behind the counter, get them working. Time to lean, time right. to clean. You know what I mean? And that's you're maximizing that employee's uh, paltry wages that you're paying them. And, and, and your employee in turn hates you, right. basically. So that's not great. And you've um, tried to run metrics about what kind of generic books to put up front, and and ultimately, it's like it's all just swirling to the center, right? It's all just um, creating a, an atmosphere where employees don't really feel empowered. Customers have seen this store four other times if they're book book customers, especially in a place like the Bay Area, and um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily assert ourselves as being like the best example of the most indie bookstore ever by any means, but I would hope that we would be humble enough to hear ideas from obviously the staff, but other people too. Um, and, and when I say hear ideas, I don't mean fucking random ass suggestions like get a key cutting machine or uh, get a, a real a, suggestion once upon a, a time. A real suggestion. Buy a print on demand printing press. No, like oh, I have a friend who is self-publishing a book of art photographs from this relevant local thing and, you know, whatever the case may be. Just, like, dialing in and... Uh, yeah, because more often than not, your, your staff, or the staff of, 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 of a bookstore, they will inevitably have inroads into communities yeah. that are in your community that mm -hmm. you you have no sense of. And I've certainly experienced that in, you know, my years as bookselling. I've just found my 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 way into worlds that I would have never had any sort of inroad at all. 
and, and just being, tricked, being open that, to that. You never would have had that inroad if you didn't have a normal human relationship, right, with your coworkers, right. right? Instead of being like, when you come to work, like it's work time, and you're going to maximize your human profitability. It's like, no, people can come to work and they can talk about uh, political ideals right. or you know whatever groups they're involved in and fun things they're doing and feel free to do so. Well, I guess we've come to a close of our third episode. Um, if I seem a little tired, I am. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not even less, like I was joking that I, I feel like in this episode we're, we're less burning the industry down and we're just kind of watching it be on fire. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's, it's been set at night. Just processing <laughs> orders. Yeah, yeah. Well, things, well, things slowly and slowly. Yeah, um, but uh, I hope everybody is finding some uh, some joy, yeah. some little joys here and there. I know I just see it in various social media forums and talking to people. The exhaustion is wearing on people, and I, I really do worry about the longevity of some people just sticking around because there's not a whole lot of really great reasons for lots of people to stick around in this in what we're doing right now. <laughs> I'm like a sick freak because I can't work in a job that I don't 100% love and care about. But if you are not like me, get out. Get out now. Yeah. Go join the Fine. tech industry. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, there's, like, there's, unfortunately, join... there's nowhere else for them to go. Go join the blank profitable industry. Um, no shame. If you're in it now and you're like, this bookshelf shit is not for me. But um, also, solidarity if the bookselling shit is for you, but you're feeling totally bedraggled and beaten down by the current situation, because I feel that too. Yeah, absolutely. And if you just need to, if you need to send an email, again, send it to a, a face.podcast at gmail.com. If you just need to vent, say, tell us you don't want us to use this, but you just need to just let something out of your system um, lots of us you know uh, just need that sort of explosion and there's no one to explode it upon and we won't post it on no, Twitter no we won't at all just it, it, we'll, we'll, we'll delete it we'll read it but we'll, we'll we're delete. normal human adults yeah, yeah. <laughs> we won't but, do weird things with it absolutely but if you want to share if you want to talk about these ideas and you want to uh, offer any sort of insights about what uh what your store or you as an individual are doing, you know, mm-hmm. to, to kind of bring the indie back into indie. Um, and we'd love to hear them. Um, yeah. So once again, podcast at gmail.com. Thanks everybody for sticking around and uh, keep up the good fight. Yeah. Take care y'all. All right. Peace out. I wish I was a mole in the ground. Yes, I wish it was a mole in the ground. Wish I was a mole in the ground. Yes, I wish I was.